All right, well, good evening and welcome to our Wednesday uh, Bible study. I can tell you I'm feeling much better than I felt last Wednesday. Um, we were going to try to do a Wednesday evening Bible study <coughs> via Facebook Live, and um, we were within the first 24 hours of COVID, and it was not a good 24 hours. Um, but nonetheless, we have uh, progressively gotten a little better each day. Um, and uh, we're so thankful for uh, your prayers. I'm glad you could be with us this afternoon or this evening. And uh, we're going to be in the book of Revelation. Um, in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, we're going to look at the first three verses. And really, what we're going to do tonight is a introduction part two. Um, and and uh, there's some things I want to reiterate from last, uh, a couple weeks ago when we were together. And then... Um, kind of explain uh, maybe a little bit clearer um, as well. And some may say, well, why Revelation? Um, well, Revelation is a book that is mysterious to some. It's uh, somewhat difficult to preach in some aspects, so it requires a little bit more study. Um, it's, it's, it's misunderstood. It's, it's mysterious, I guess, to a degree. Um, but nonetheless, uh, as we'll see, that, that all of Scripture has been given to us for our benefit and our profit. So we want to see in our day and age how, um, how that works for us. And so we'll be going uh, through Revelation like we typically do in a book, uh, verse by verse. So um, let's go ahead and pray. I, I just I don't want to say any names on Facebook Live, but um, there are folks that, that we are near to and, and dear to and folks we haven't seen in a while that are, are struggling with COVID and uh, we are uh, we're, we're, that you're in our prayers um, and others for our church, people that we know that, uh, um, that are in a hospital and whatnot, we are, are certainly praying for, for them as well. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll look at our text um, this evening. Father, we thank you so much. Um, for the privilege uh, that you have granted to us through Jesus Christ to approach your throne of grace. Father, I thank you for this uh, medium that we have to uh, relate uh, the, the message uh, of your word um, to uh, those that would go to church, that go to church with us and, and to some even family and other friends. Um, Lord, in this time where we've, we've had to be quarantined for this virus. And Father, I certainly want to give thanks for your uh, for your protection over us, uh, even in our sickness, uh, Lord, that it could have been much worse than it was. Um, and so certainly we want to give you thanks for, for that, that healing that you have brought about and continue to bring about. Lord, we pray for those that are, are having more difficult time with this virus. And Lord, that uh, goes beyond our reasoning. Um, but Father, we pray that you would uh, graciously minister to them at this time. Father, we pray that for those that are, are estranged from you, for those that uh, don't know you as Savior, God, that this would be a means to draw them to yourself um, and that they would hear the gospel and respond in, in repentance uh, and obey the gospel. Father, again, I pray you'd bless our time this evening. We praise you and we thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Well, a couple of weeks ago when we started our study of Revelation, um, 
I, I felt like I wanted, I needed to clear up a few things. Um, sometimes when you introduce a new book, um, when you're going to preach through it, uh, the, the, the first lesson, first Bible study, first message will sometimes feel like uh, one pastor friend says a college lecture. Um, sometimes it feels like an information dump because you're given background and, and things behind the book. And, and certainly there's a lot of information that we can gather just in the introduction. I, I was listening to a, a fellow this week um, or last week, and uh, he was preaching through uh, Revelation uh, years ago. I'm not sure when the year was. And he preached uh, four introductory messages before he even approached the text. And so um, there's certainly a lot of things. Um, I think there's some things that I'd like to clear up. Uh, tonight and maybe for for some who are just uh, listening in um, and will listen to this on uh, sermon audio in the future as well um, that uh, that there's some misunderstandings about uh, about revelation um, tonight as I said this will be our second installation of a of the introduction of this magnificent and mysterious book I Five years ago, I would not have touched this book. I, I would have shied away from it. I'd have been, hey, it's a good book to read, maybe personal study, but I'm certainly not going to get make an attempt to preach through it. And it, even at this moment, um, feeling underqualified maybe, uh, but yet um, knowing that um, this book is, is it, I think it's key or, or can be key to how we conduct our life as Christians. Um, and, and that's that. That's the whole point of, of scripture, right? Is to to unveil uh, who Jesus is, what He has done, and, and and how we must conduct our life in light of the gospel effect that we say has taken change, taken place in our life. Um, there were some things said maybe that uh, a couple of weeks ago that caused some confusion, and I, again, I hope to clear those up. Uh, right off the bat, we see in our in the first verse of our text the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I, I was at a ball game. Uh, I think it was earlier earlier uh, in tw or the later part of 2020. I think it was. I think it was a volleyball game, and I heard some kids over in the distance talking, and they were talking about revelations. It's not multiple revelations. It's one revelation. Um, within this revelation that has given to John and he is pinning down, there are multiple visions that we will see as we work through this book. Um, but it is the, the revelation, the unveiling, the uncovering of Jesus Christ. And, and that in itself ought not be a mystery, right? I mean, the whole Bible, it really is, is a revelation of who Jesus is and, and what he has done and, and who we are as man. It's, it's the revelation of the gospel. It's the revelation of God's uh, uh, plan through re throughout redemptive history, bringing us up um, to the present. Uh, I quoted uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, and that seems to be a verse I quote quite often these days. Um, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It came from, uh, from God. The Holy Spirit moved upon holy men of old um, and is profitable. That word profitable is advantageous. It's beneficial for doctrine. That, that's our teaching. That's what I'm doing right now. This is doctrine uh, for reproof, for correction. It corrects our wrong thinking. Um, it, it corrects our wrong beliefs uh, that there are multiple religions out there. Um, how do you decipher which one is right, which one is not? Um, the Bible does that. 
It's um, uh, profitable for instruction in righteousness, how we conduct our life, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, the, uh, the obvious, uh, let me state this first. The obvious is all scripture is, and that is the closed canon of scripture. When you go purchase a Bible, um, similar to this, you get a, a book that within that book are contained 66 books, uh, 39 old, 27 new. This is what is called the closed canon of scripture. This is all scripture. Um, the Apocrypha is not inspired. There's a reason it's not inspired. It's um, at best, uh, history, and some of it's not even very reliable history. Um, no other scripture to, to people today speaking uh, as though God has given them this revelation. That's not scripture. Um, and, and even in our, in our maybe our, our Christian talk, when we say that God showed me something or God revealed something to me, we're not talking that the voice of God literally came in and gave us something to write down for us to communicate, we're talking about God, God showing us, uncovering some great truth for us um, in, in Scripture. Um, secondly, we see the Word of God is profitable. As I said, it means it's advantageous, it's beneficial or useful to our spiritual growth and maturity. Now, it's not beneficial, it's not useful, it should not be used to promote some uh, errant idea uh, that, that when you take it uh, and misinterpret the scripture that you can come to some conclusion and uh, no we, we got to we, we, we've got to see what does the, the question we need to ask ourselves what does the scripture say what is it saying um, not what do I want it to say but it's profitable it's advantageous it's beneficial useful to our spiritual growth and maturity how is it that you know that the Bible is the word of God because you put its principles into practice and you see how God ha has blessed um, and, and, and grown you as a Christian. Um, Paul tells Timothy, first, it's profitable for doctrine. It's profitable for teaching. Why do you think that in the Christian church that all of our doctrine, all, all of our teaching, everything centers around the Scripture? I, I know there are other books that, that, that may be helpful and things of that nature, but every, even those books uh, claim to be centered around the Scripture. That That's... This is the key document, if you will, for our Christian faith. This doctrine, it's being profitable for doctrine, is the activity of imparting knowledge concerning God's revelation of Christ. And that's what we're doing. That's what we're going to do here tonight. And so the question then would be, well, how then can eschatology or, or revelation or even a book like Numbers um, <coughs> excuse me, be to our benefit or be to our advantage? Or better even yet, how can revelation be advantageous or applicable to my everyday life? <clears throat> and I believe it, as other books do, prepare us for the day of the Lord that is coming. Um, I, I've been in church for uh, my whole life. Uh, my mom and dad um, got married, um, saw to it that we went to church. I, I've been going to church since, um, I tell people, since conception. I, I've been going to church that long. And uh, I've been in church all my life. So I've heard preachers get up and say, man, Jesus is coming soon. I've been hearing that. I remember as a teenager hearing that and thinking, man, there's a lot of things I need to get done. Um, but nonetheless, um, we, 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 we see how it is practical for our life. And so it, it speaks to this imminent return of Christ. As a matter of fact, Jesus in Luke 21 said this. 
about that day of the Lord. Um, and, and the Bible, uh, well, the, the Bible preparing us for this day of the Lord, but, but notice what Jesus said in Luke 21, um, 34. He has, uh, he, he is talking about, so this is the parallel passage would be Mark, uh, or Matthew 24, I'm sorry, um, the Olivet Discourse. Uh, Jesus, matter of fact, one of the, the headlines says that Jesus discusses the future, things that are going to take place in the future. And after he goes through all that, he says in verse 34, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. That day talking about the day of the Lord. Now, in these previous verses, <coughs> Jesus gives the parable of the fig tree. When the fig tree begins to bloom and, and uh, put forth leaves, and you note summer is near. We have been in the season uh, of winter now. And uh, even now at this time, it's 20-some-odd degrees here in North Texas. And as I walk around outside, I, I start, I'm starting to see little patches of green grass grow. Um, later on in the spring, we'll see buds start to come out of the tree, and you'll see those trees either bloom with leaves or bloom with flowers and, and, and whatnot. And we know that not just the weather getting warmer, but we know that the weather is changing, right? That the season is going to change. And, and that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, look, there are signs around you. There are signs that you're going to see that, that are going to give hint to my coming. And I know we can't know the time nor the day nor the hour, but I believe with, that, with what Jesus says about this fig tree that we can know the season, um, we can we can discern the season uh, when Jesus is coming. Now we shouldn't get caught up in trying to predict the day. I I know there have been false religions that have tried to do that throughout the years, but we cannot do that. Only only God knows that time. And so what Jesus is saying to them after this uh, discussion of the fig tree, he says, "Don't let the cares of this life uh, get you so intoxicated with these things." that you miss the signs around you um, in, in regards to my coming. And, and certainly, uh, you know, that, that could happen, right? Thinking of it um, in a sense of, of being cooped up in a home all winter long maybe and not being able to look outside and see when the signs begin to change towards spring. Um, you, you get so caught up with trying to stay warm or whatnot that you, you remain inside and you don't go outside. Well, Many of us in, in this life, we get so caught up with what's going on in this world and, and what's going on with this event and that event and, 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 and trying to, to, to make another dime or another dollar and just trying to amass all this, build my kingdom here, as it were, and we lose the sight of the signs that, God, that Jesus is, is putting forth for his uh, return. If we're to be aware of the return of Jesus, then we need to follow what the Bible says, not what we want it to say. Or, or even what would be more egregious than that would be to force things upon the text of Scripture than what is there. And, man, I've heard multiple sermons on, uh, on Revelation and even read maybe not all of books regarding Revelation, but but read portions of books and I'm like, man, I, I just don't, I don't understand what you're trying to say about this book. You're making it and our tendency, right? Is to make it more mysterious than what it really is. Um, 
And so if we're to be aware of this, then we don't force things upon the text that's there. We, we, we do what's called exegesis, is that we extract out of the text what God uh, has put there. The reality is that none of us have the authority to add to the Scripture. Um, we don't have that authority. We don't have that luxury. And to put things on a text that's not there is to do just that. Um, I want to submit to you this, uh, today that the way we interpret Revelation will have a direct effect upon my life and your life as well. What we believe about the imminent return of Jesus should affect how we live our life on a daily basis. Um, and much of the church, man, we're living that like we don't believe that. We're living like we don't believe that Jesus would come back at any moment. All right, we're going about our life the way we've always gone about it. There's not a whole lot that has changed in our life. We're, you know, we're still plugging along and whatnot. Um, we're not certainly not witnessing to the degree that we need to be witnessing. We're certainly not um, living our lives in holiness to the degree that we need to be. And and that's that's the things that prepare us for um, the return of Christ. Um, our view of this is it lived with the view of or belief that the suffering, tribulation, and persecution of this life is seen as a means to strengthen our faith. Well, we don't understand tribulation in America very much. We don't understand suffering and affliction and persecution in, in this country very much. But it's, it's coming, folks. I mean, you look at what's going on around us. You see what's taking place. And I, I'm not here to sound an alarm bell or, or sound like a doom and gloom preacher. I'm telling you what reality is, what it is showing to us um, right now. I read an article today. Um, there's a pastor up in, uh, up in Canada that was arrested because of his refusal to not meet by the government. The government's allowed restaurants and bars to remain open, but they said, hey, churches, you can't meet. That, that's more dangerous to your health than going to a bar with some strangers or going to a restaurant with some strangers. But nonetheless, um, talking about uh, our, our view of revelation or our view of the scripture, um, you know, no matter what we suffer in this life, the evidence of true saving faith is that we endure until Jesus returns. What we will see when we get to the letters in chapters 2 and 3 to those seven churches is this phrase, to him that overcomes, to him that overcomes. Uh, the, the, a doctrine that is missed in, in, the, in the Christian church today is that of the perseverance of the saints, is that our, our saving faith, if you want to know if you have true saving faith, is that when you fall away, do you come back? Do you persevere no matter what may come? Now, uh, Christians can fall. Christians can fall deep, but they cannot fall away completely and forever. If you have been born again by God, if God has put his spirit within you, then, yeah, there will be times when you, when you fall away, but if you're one of God's, he will correct you and, and bring you back. Does our belief in the imminent return um, of Jesus cause us to proclaim the gospel with great urgency? I mean, do we, we, when we go out into the world, do we see uh, just people milling about and going about their life as we do, or do we see people who may not know Jesus? Um, uh, in regards to the imminent return of Jesus, um, there are two aspects of this imminent return. Now, when we talk about the imminent return, we're talking about, one, the suddenness of his return. Um, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, it says that he'll come as a thief in the night. 
Um, we, uh, when we lived in Baton Rouge, we had our house broken into one night and all they took was the TV, but we weren't, when we left, we weren't expecting someone to, to, to break in our house and, and steal anything that we, we had. Um, and that's how a thief comes. He comes when no one's expecting him. And Jesus, that basically that's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to come when, when, when you're not really expecting me, when uh, it's going to catch you, uh, unawares. Um, look, there'll be many who, uh, are living their life as though Jesus would not return in their lifetime. Man, we're living like, well, look, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna build this kingdom, and and and, I, and I'm gonna die at a certain time in the future, maybe, and then I'm gonna go on to heaven, and things are gonna be great. Well, the reality that we're faced with now, more so than any generation previous to us, is the fact that Jesus could return in our lifetime. He may, he may not. I don't know that time. I'm not. I'm not I'm not privy to that information, right? But nonetheless, whether it, whether it was Christians in, in the dark ages or, or Christians in the 21st century, our life ought to be lived in light of Jesus returning at, at any moment. So there's the suddenness of his return. But secondly, there is the certainty with which he will return. It's going to happen. Um, there were false teachers in the early church that had said, man, it's already come. It's already taken place. It's not going to happen. Um, there will be people coming in these last days that are going to ask the same question. Where's the promise of his coming? Where's he at? Y'all said he was coming back. Y'all been saying he was going to come, come back. Where is he? Um, but it speaks to the certainty. He told his disciples in John 14, I will come again and receive you into myself that where I am, there you may be also. Um, and so with this in mind, I, I'm going to review real quickly uh, the three ways uh, of interpreting Revelation and, and, and show you which route we're going to go that I, I believe is the most beneficial for the Christian. Um, again, it will affect how, or should, let me say it that way, affect how we conduct our life. Now, the, 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 first, the, the first way that it's interpreted the first view teaches that Revelation was written about A.D. 67. Now, the vast majority of scholars will say, no, it was written about A.D. 95. But there are some that will say, no, it was written in A.D. 67. And it sees Christ's prediction in the Olivet Discourse, course, Matthew 24 and um, uh, Luke 21. It sees it referring to the Roman army's destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in A.D. 70. Now, they would further argue the events in, in Revelation describe Nero Caesar's persecution of the church, and those who would hold to a later uh, dating of, of Revelation um, believe that the, some of the persecution that's talked about in Revelation is uh, the, the ruler Domitian. Um, this group here that says no, these events all took place before AD or by AD 70. Um, it's talking about Nero Caesar's persecution of the church, um, the references to judgment uh, on Babylon that we will see eventually in Revelation speak of Israel and not Rome. Uh, they would contend that all of the Bible's teachings about future things were fulfilled within the lifetime of Christ's disciples. Now. I don't want to dive off into this and go down this rabbit hole, but there are implications from this. Um, they, and they would even say the resurrection and second coming of Christ took place in A.D. 70. Now, 
If this view is true, let me ask you this question. What hope do we have at this moment with the things we see going on around us? What hope do we have of living our life according to the scripture if Jesus has already returned? Now, the second view that is talked about um, or that we mentioned um, would be almost a complete opposite of what I just mentioned. This, that is, rather than everything happening in the past, that all prophecies are to happen in the future. In this view, everything centers on national Israel. We go back to 1948 when Israel went back over to, um, to their land that, that God had promised them. Um, they believe that prophecies concerning Israel will have their fulfillment after the church has been taken out of this world, um, one of the major problems, there's a lot of problems with, with these views, but in particular this one, one of the major problems I see um, with this view uh, is that it, it focuses on the covenant that God made with Israel in the Old Testament um, as yet being fulfilled. They're, they're saying, well, they, they didn't do they didn't get all of the land that God promised them. Well, the reason they didn't get all the land that God promised them is because they gave themselves to the false idols that were in that land. They, they, uh, they married the false religion of those pagans to the religion uh, of, of Judaism. They married those two together, uh, put them together, and, and, and tried to worship both. And In Jeremiah 3.8, God says that I've divorced you because of your adultery. Now, if you think about this in a biblical text, the only reason that the Bible gives us for a man or a woman to leave their, their husband or wife is for adultery. That, that's the only biblical reason that we can see. And so we see in the Old Testament that God divorced himself from Israel. He, he said, you keep, matter of fact, the, the language is you keep a whoring after other gods. What have I to do with you? And so he gave her a writing of divorcement. You can look, matter of fact, I'm going to read it for you. Jeremiah 3.8. These are the things that we, we fail to... Look, if we're going to talk about this and we're going to look at these things, we've got to look at the whole of Scripture and not just pick out the verses that we want to, to put forth our view. Um, and, and as we work through Revelation, we're going to, get, we're going to constantly be going, going back to um, the Old Testament. Jeremiah 3, verse 8. Um, and I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery. That is, they chased other gods. Um, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce, yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. So there's this focus on Israel with, with this second view that I'm talking about. Um, and it fails to recognize the fact that God divorced himself from Israel. Now, that's not to say that God could not and would not bring revival to Israel. Um, I, I've heard missionaries to that part of the world give testimony to the fact that I, between 70 and 80% of Jews over there are actually atheists. They don't even believe in God. Um, so we see that, that if, if, if it's, all, it's all focused around Israel and not really the overarching redemptive purpose of God. Um, we need to understand this about Israel. Their primary pur purpose 
in the course of redemptive history was to bring us Christ. Now, their whole purpose was for, for that prophet, priest, and king known as Christ who, who will reign forever in his kingdom that stands forever. They, were, they, they brought him to, to the world. Matter of fact, Galatians says at just the right moment in time uh, that, that Christ came. Now, I realize this is probably an overly simplistic explanation. Um, but in regards to this, there, there isn't any biblical basis for us to make an assumption that God uh, is not finished with national Israel. Now, we see in, in, in Daniel, 12, uh, Daniel 12, verse 7, um, there's a question asked by one of the angels after, uh, the matter of fact, the first part of Daniel 12, 1 through 3, talks about resurrection and, and uh, I believe, uh, tribulation. And then you go on down, and, and there's a question asked by one of the angels that says, how long? How long until these things come to pass? And then verse, it goes into verse 7. Matter of fact, let's, let's go over there, too. If you've got a Bible handy, turn to Daniel 12. Um, verse 7. And you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Probably help if I was in the right book, huh? There we go, Daniel 12. Verse 7, it says, And I heard the man clothed in linen... Um, well, if you go back up to verse 1, it says, At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince, which standeth for the children of thy people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Even at that same time, and at that time, thy people, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Now, you go to Revelation 13.8, I think it's 13.8, you see this, this book of life, this Lamb's book of life. Now, it goes on to verse 2, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Now, there's a resurrection of, a resurrection of life unto life, and there's a resur resurrection of death unto death. Uh, all of those who have died, those who are in the grave, th those who are in the sea, wherever, when at the, at the moment Jesus returns, those bodies will be brought back together, that the saved resurrected to life and the, uh, the unbelieving resurrected to their final their final place of condemnation in hell. Um, and then verse 3, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteous as the stars forever and ever. And that's talking about those who would proclaim the gospel in, in turning the unbelieving to Christ. And so the question is asked, how long were these things, how long until these things are going to take place? And then verse 7 um, if you've got anything other than a King James, your, the word there um, at the end is not going to say sh scattered. It's going to say shattered. Um, and so he says, I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a half, and when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people... All these things shall be finished. Now, what is the power of the holy people? Well, it's the gospel. Um, it, it is the, the gospel that brings life unto uh, the, the, the spiritually dead. Um, and, and so 
uh, when that has gone to the corners of the earth, when that has covered uh, the earth, um, he says that's when these things are going to take place. Now, we will see this unfold in the book of Revelation. There was, uh, it, it's going to take us a while to, to, to show you that and, and show how it unfolds. Um, now, I, I've been repeating this mantra that all scripture is given by God for our benefit and our profit. In regards to this second view that I gave you, that everything is future and everything is centered around Israel, I'm going to ask the same question that I asked about the previous view. If, if everything has not taken place and it's all future, then, then what hope do we have? How, how, do, how does that affect me? How does it apply to my life? How does this encourage me in this day and age? And that's the question that we want to answer, right? Is how does this fit for us today? Now, let me tell you this. Let me, let me say this, that we don't take Revelation and uh, the current events of the day and try to lay them on the book of Revelation. That, that's not how we interpret Revelation either. Um, if we do that, then the headlines of each preceding generation would have looked somewhat different um, even especially going back to the, the, the 18th and 17th and, and 16th centuries and even before that, the headlines of the day would, would have looked vastly different than they do for us today. Now, the third view um, that we discussed a couple of weeks ago, and this will be the approach that we take to interpreting um, re Revelation, and it's this, is that the idea is basically that the series of visions and Revelation describe the course of history between the first and second coming of Christ, and each from a different perspective. Another way to look at that would be uh, the term of recapitulation that is used. What recapitulation is, it is the telling of the same event in a different way, adding new um, details to that story, um, and we will see that unfold um, as well. And, and this is exactly what, what is being told here is that these are the events that are going to take place in the church age. When I read Daniel 12, 7, you saw this times time and a half. Uh, we will see that throughout Revelation. Uh, you'll see the idea of 42 months. Um, matter of fact, in Daniel 9 it is, I think, the first place that we see this times time and a half. And um, look, the Bible is full of symbolism, in particular with uh, apocalyptic literature, and that's what uh, that's some of what Revelation is. Um, and so we got to figure out what that means. It, it doesn't, you know, there was a book written, I think, in the late '70s by Hal Lindsey called, I think it's called, "The Late Great Planet Earth." And in that book, he likened the grasshoppers with the face of a man to. I think the Cobra helicopters that were used in the Six-Day War with Israel, um, we we got to understand this, that the, the Bible doesn't mean something for us today that it, did, that it meant, that it didn't mean when it was written. That the meaning that John intended for this book, when God gave him the revelation to write this book, is the same meaning for us today. Now, is it going to have an, a different application? Most likely, because our world is a little bit different than it was then. But understand that in that application, it has to be tied back to the, the original meaning. So 
Um, we don't want to go outside and get wacky with this. I've heard people talk about Revelation and get all kind of wacky and you end up with all kind of sci-fi thriller stories and, and movies that are made that, that's not even what was intended um, for that. Um, when we studied uh, the, the doctrine of eschatology, uh, and we've been going over that for several months in our Wednesday evening service that, that we weren't recording, um, we covered a few chapters of Revelation and discussed that each vision within the Revelation, uh, as I said a moment ago, is a recapitulation of the previous vision. Now, I'll give you a little bit of homework tonight, um, and we'll close here in, in a few moments. Go read the, the uh, I think it's the, the vials, I believe is the first one, um, beginning in chapter, uh, oh, verse, in chapter 5, the books sealed with seven seals. So go read the seven seals, um, and then go read the judgments, and then go read the vials, and you'll see similarities, but you'll also see added detail from one to the other. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you, um, either this evening or, or sometime between now and next week, sit down and read the whole book of Revelation through um, at, at one sitting. And so um, we are, uh, we finally get to the text, right? Uh, this verse one, I, I want to I show, show you something. The text starts off the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is the unveiling, the uncovering of who? Jesus Christ. It, it's unveiling and uh, uncovering um, uh, things that will happen, things that will shortly get happen, and things that will happen um, in, in the future. And the word revelation simply means uncovering, unveiling, or to take the lid off, as one commentator uh, wrote. What follows is the unveiling of Jesus Christ from his ascension when our church age began to his second advent. That, that's, the, that's, that's the time period, if you will, that, that we're talking about, the church age, or otherwise known as the millennium um, to some. The revelation could be summed up by stating, this is the work of Christ in and through his church in this fallen world. As we'll see from chapter 4 onward, the, uh, the church will face many attacks, but in the end will be victorious. We're going to stop there this evening, and, and we'll pick up right, right there next week. I appreciate those. That, that have joined in.